Let's pray together. We now ask, Lord, uh, that you would send your spirit upon the preaching of the word of God so that wherever your word is heard, uh, we would respond with faith and obedience. And we pray that you would unfold the mystery of this moment at the cross for us as we grieve our losses. Let us grieve them as you grieve them, Lord, with hope, uh, with faith, and ultimately, Lord, with an eye toward that resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite everyone to turn to Mark 15 in your uh, programs there or in your Bibles. Uh, We're looking at one of the final words from Jesus from the cross as we learn how to grieve together. This is Mark 15, starting in verse 33, going all the way to verse 41. I want to begin uh, by addressing the outbreak of the coronavirus. a disruption that we have never seen before. It's impacting every part of life, all the way from the very personal for how many seconds we use to sanitize our hands, to how we have church, to all the way up to how countries relate with one another. It is upending everything. Uh, There are classes being canceled, trips being delayed, uh, Cubs opener being indefinitely Uh, delayed as well, store shelves emptied, Um, irrational purchases being made. Um, And uh, of course, you know, if you're part of Emmanuel, we're unable to gather, uh, as many churches are unable to gather, uh, together in worship. I think that it is absolutely God's providence that we're in this series uh, called How to Grieve. I think it's absolutely part of God's plan that we're looking at Mark 15 today. Um, in the season of Lent, we willingly give up things that we normally are able to hold on to with the understanding that God is going to fill those empty spaces with his power and his life. Um, And that's actually what's been happening against our wills, that we've lost a lot of things that we are accustomed to. Um, In just a few days, We have lost our freedom and control over our life. So much of life is absolutely out of control. Uh, Choices are being made for us. Restrictions are coming down, ultimately for our good, but out of our control. Uh, We've lost not only freedom, but we've lost productivity, which is difficult to, to lose. We feel aimless and stuck behind closed doors and sort of uncertain, like, what am I supposed to do next? Like, what am I supposed to do now? Now, for our college students, We've gotten word that your semester is now going to be done online for the rest of the semester, that many of you, we won't see you until the fall, which is so sad. And I'm sure it's sad for you as you leave your friends and and finish out the semester in a way you never thought you would. Um, For some, there's a loss of like just fun things that have been planned, fun trips, vacations you've saved for, or a special date, or something that was something you were looking forward to. Maybe you even put it down a deposit on. Um, For many of us, there is a loss of income. There's a financial hit. Uh, If you've invested anything for retirement in the stock market, there's a loss of savings. Um, And just this is impacting almost every single person financially. Around the world and close to home, we see a loss of health. We see a loss of health, uh, which is uh, as close to home as it gets. 
when our health is impacted. And for many around the world, there is a loss of life due to this virus and due to the conditions around this virus. Every single one of us, whatever condition we're in, has lost normal. There's no one in this world right now, and no one in our church, no one in our city that has a normal life at this point. Normal has completely gone out the window. You know that normal has completely gone out the window when Anglicans are live streaming their worship services. <laughs> um, here's how one pastor frames it up. He says, our culture routinely interprets losses as alien invasions that interrupt our normal lives, which is so true. Our culture routinely interprets losses as alien invasions that interrupt our normal lives. And I would just say, like, forget our culture. Like, I interpret losses as an alien invasion on my normal life and my plans and life as I know it. Um, I think that if we interpret losses as an alien invasion on normal, we can be just tempted to go passive. Passive with our life, passive with our choices. We kind of just, let's just get through it as passively as we can. Let's passively wish this away. Let's passively drink this away. Let's passively spiritualize this away. Let's passively reminisce about better days and wish it away. Um, that's the temptation. The truth is that loss is actually, rather than an invasion, losses can be an invitation into God's new life. That's really what losses, as we look at Jesus on the cross, we see that losses of loss of normal, and for Jesus, the loss of normal was the loss of connection he had with his father. That was his normal, and he lost it. But it was this actually this invitation into new life um, that God had for him, that God has for us. Uh, new opportunities to love our neighbor. New revelations of the character of God, the heart of God that we'll see in a way we never saw before. New expansions of the soul. Things that you didn't know were possible as your soul expands through these losses, not around these losses. There's just like new depth of character that's developed in all of us. And new acts of worship as a community, even a new ministry model for us uh, this morning. Um, new life is being birthed in us as we speak. As normal is going out the window, new life is being birthed in us. Um, it's new life that emerges from us as we grieve the loss of normal. And we're going to see that the way Jesus grieved. Uh, as Jesus grieved, the world worshipped. A centurion came to faith, something that seemed impossible. The, the curtain which separated the presence of God uh, from the entire world was torn. And all of a sudden we see someone from the nations worshipping as no one expected. The way that Jesus grieved, the way he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the way he died um, actually gave hope to the people watching. Um, the way Jesus grieved gave hope to generation after generation of people uh, who faced their own losses. And his lament became a blessing to all of the nations. And my hope is that we'd be filled with the Spirit in the same way as we grieve our losses. So let's look at Mark 15, verse 33 in your bulletins or Bibles. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For those of you who normally worship at Emmanuel, this may seem like a lifetime ago, but the last few Sundays have been gorgeous after church. 
And you, it's like you walk outside of church around 12 noon, and it's warm. It's sunny. It feels like the favor of God. You go skipping off to your picnic. There's no social distancing needed. Everything is wonderful and happy. Um, now imagine the same scenario. Imagine you walk outside at 12 noon, and it's completely pitch, pitch, pitch black, where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. You just walk out, and it's a blanket of darkness. There's no sun. There's no city lights. There's no artificial lights at all at 12 noon. It would feel troubling. It would feel dangerous. It would feel like something has gone wrong. It might even feel like God's judgment. Um, the sun and sunlight feels like God's favor. Darkness, in some ways, feels like God's judgment. And it was like that all throughout Scripture, that darkness was actually one of the ways that God communicated, hey, I'm unhappy with this situation. I'm unhappy with what you're doing right now. I'm removing my presence and my favor from you. We saw this in Egypt. We see this in the Minor Prophets. And we see this even on the cross. Um, so Jesus was uh, nailed to the cross and hung up at 12 noon. At 12 noon, Jesus Christ was, his, his, his flesh and bones uh, and tendons were, were, were driven through with spikes. He was hoisted up. And then for three hours, he hung with some sunlight. For three hours, there, were, there was daylight for people to kind of gawk at him and mock him. And the weather was fairly normal. For three hours, they could make eye contact with each other as they mocked him. And you could see who was saying what. You could make eye contact with Jesus. And you could look at him with, with love or with scorn. For three hours, Jesus uh, had to choose between... Uh, the, the suffocation that is forced on you when you're hanging on the cross and the incredible excruciating pain of hoisting yourself up just so that you could gasp for air. And then after three hours, darkness fell. And for an additional three hours, Jesus hung there with the mocking, with the demonic torment, and with the separation from his Father. So if you think about it, here we have three hours of crucifixion followed by three hours of crucifixion in darkness, which is God communicating, I'm not okay with this situation. I'm removing my blessing, my presence from this area of the earth. What you're doing to my son is unjust and cruel, uh, and I don't approve. Uh, now, why does God judge the situation? Um, well, they're putting his son to death. It's an act of cruelty, injustice, and evil. Um, and... Uh, there's also, in some ways now, now that there's complete darkness, all sin against Jesus can be done without, in some ways, without accountability. All the powers of hell now localize around Jesus to torment him and rejoice in his death. Um, Jesus now is bearing the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and in, and in many ways, Golgotha has become hell on earth. One preacher describes it like this, the uttermost depth of human misery has been plumbed by the incarnate Lord. Um, I've quoted before from a book called A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Pain and Loss. And it's written by Gerald Sitzer, who lost his mother, his wife, and his daughter in one car accident. And he describes how darkness, that blanket of darkness, found him. He didn't have to go looking for it. It found him when his normal was interrupted. Um, 
and when he lost, tragically, three generations of women that he loved. He says this, Sudden and tragic loss come, uh, lead to a terrible darkness. The darkness comes no matter how hard we try to hold it off. However threatening, we must face it. I discovered after the accident that I had the power to choose either to run from the loss or to face it as best I could. I decided that from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than try to outrun it and allow myself to be transformed by my suffering rather than think I could somehow avoid it. Now Jesus, in this moment of darkness, does not shrivel up on himself. He doesn't slink off into death. He actually laments his way into death. And then as he does, he gives us the resources we need to lament our own darkness. Verse 34 uh, of Mark 15 says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemach samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After those six hours on the cross, Jesus cries out to his father, except he doesn't call him father as he always did in the gospel before this moment. He calls him my God, which is so interesting. There's, a, there's like a painful, lonely distance. It's like his father, which was always so, who was always so close, is now distant, unseen. He can only say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I roadkill here, completely abandoned? We don't know what Jesus was feeling or thinking in that moment. Mark does not tell us. We only know what Jesus was praying in that moment, and that he prayed loudly, prayed with a great voice, a loud voice, screaming into the darkness. Um, Now, Jesus had certainly gone through hard things before. It's worth noting that he suffered a lot coming up to the cross. And I mean, even think about when he was whipped and his skin was ripped off his body. And um, he didn't cry out then like he's crying out now. Um, Jesus truly trusted his father as well. So why do we see him lamenting like this, asking God why he has been um, abandoned? It's a very raw prayer here. Um, Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, helps us understand why in this moment Jesus cries out like this. He says this, Jesus defines himself only in relationship to his father. He can't conceive of himself outside that relationship. Imagine asking Jesus how he's doing. He'd say, my father and I are doing great. He's giving me everything I need today. If you asked him, no, Jesus, just tell me about you, not your father, he would give you a strange look. That's why the terror of the cross was such an agony for Jesus. He had never experienced a moment when he wasn't in communion with his father. His anguish is our normal. Um, Now, Jesus was separated from his father, at least experientially, and he cries out with this loud voice of lament. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that the father was listening the whole time. Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard. This prayer, this lament was actually heard. Imagine this ear-splitting scream. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of the darkness. Um, uh, And then knowing that the Father is listening, going, hey, that's a pretty reverent prayer. I'm going to listen to that prayer. I'm going to answer that prayer. 
Sure, it was reverent. Here's how Jesus grieved. Honestly. Intensely. Loudly. From the heart. To the Father. In community with other people. People who believed. People who didn't believe. Uh, Jesus did not fold in on himself. And Jesus did not bottle up his pain. As we are all tempted to do. Listen, Jesus stays connected to the pain. He stays connected to God. He even stays connected to the community and to the word of God as he prays Psalm 22, verse 1. As he's drawing from this resource of prayer to stay connected in this moment. Jesus stays connected and grieved his losses. We're tempted to disconnect and avoid our losses. We just are tempted to disconnect and avoid all those losses. If given the choice between grieving and numbing, many of us, myself included, are tempted to choose numbing. And like, hit the fast forward button on life just to get through it. We're tempted to disconnect through excessive drinking, uh, smoking marijuana, pornography, overeating, online shopping, losing ourselves in social media, Pinterest, mindless like Netflix binging, this is all, these are all methods of disconnecting and numbing and isolating from God and our community and our own feelings even, and just numb out. And we don't feel the pain, and then we don't feel the joy. We just feel less. We're less present. We're less connected. I felt tempted this week when the stress of the situation began to pile up to break my Lenten vows. Why? Because um, if I was able to have some sugar or have a nice drink at the end of the evening, it'd make me feel a little better. And um, uh, it took actual more energy for me to, to not break my Lenten vows and to stay connected to the Lord and to Lent and uh, to the moment. It took energy. Uh, it took faith for me to say, Lord, you're enough right now. I don't need to fill the void and fill the pain with uh, these lesser things. You're enough for me. Um, So I want to plead with you as your pastor in this time. Do not break your Lenten vows. Do not break your Lenten vows. Today's a feast day, so so today is a day when actually we we enjoy the things that we've given up for Lent. You're free to do that Um, in moderation, uh, uh, I should say. and let's talk about moderation. I wanted, to, I wanted to say this in person, but I, I need to say it now, even through video. And that is that, number one, it's St. Patrick's Day weekend. Um, right? It is. Um, okay. Uh, life in Chicago is cold and quarantined. And I remember uh, from all the stories that came out during uh, some of the intense winter months of the years past that... All of that is a recipe for a lot of excessive drinking. And uh, I want to say, people of God, do not give yourself to alcohol at this point. Do not let yourself be numbed out by excessive drinking. It's one thing to enjoy a drink with your meal and the company of others. It's another to let alcohol become your counselor and your comfort, as well as any other thing that we would turn to to numb out. So what would it look like for us? That's something we can turn from. But what would it look like for us to grieve as Jesus grieved? Um, It would start with prayerful honesty. 
it would start with being a little more raw before the Lord. Like, I just got word that school is canceled for two weeks or two months or for the rest of the semester. This stinks. I hate that. I'm sad. Or the tests came back positive. I have coronavirus. I have stage four cancer. This is terrible. When we face miscarriages, infertility, breakups, lost jobs, bankruptcy, we take out Psalm 22 and we pray it with our guts. Where are you, God? Don't you care? I'm being undone here. Some people, in the depths of their grief, can't even pray words. All they can do is groan. All they can do is grunt. And according to Romans 8, that's enough. That's enough for the Holy Spirit to take and turn into a real God-honoring prayer. Maybe all you can do is scream. Now, if you live in an apartment complex, you should love your neighbor as you scream. Um, God loves it when we're raw with him, when we're honest with him, when we actually show up with what we're really feeling and thinking. It's actually a way to trust him. It's kind of vulnerable, but he welcomes it. When we bring our irreverent thoughts and feelings to God, and we pray those out. Um, Pete Scazzaro says this, Emotionally healthy faith admits the following, I am bewildered. I don't know what God is doing right now. I am hurt. I am angry. Yes, this is a mystery. I am very sad right now. Or as Jesus prayed, why have you forsaken me, God? This takes energy, okay? It takes effort. It takes time to stay in the painful moment and grieve the loss of normal. To discern it, to name it, to lament the pain that we feel. It's easier to numb out. It's easier to peace out. It's easier to put it off, to not grieve at all, and just pretend that we don't have losses. Um, but it's the Lord who meets us in reality. He does not meet us in disconnection. He meets us in the situation he actually has us in. Great quote by Dallas Willard is he says that, um, is that God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. <laughs> it's interesting. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithfully discard situation after situation as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom and his life. I want to stop for a moment and just thank all of our artists, um, the artists of our community, because you really help us grieve well. You help us stay connected when it's really difficult. Your paintings, your poems, your songs, your films, your stand-up routines, your dances, help the rest of us face what is otherwise pretty difficult to face. And I'm praying that one of the ways that we can grieve our losses in this time is through art. Um, it's a way for our soul uh, to grow, and it's a way for us to love our neighbor as well. Now, Psalm 22 is a work of art. It's a work of art, actually, that, that helps us grieve, that helps us lament. Psalm 22 was written by David, uh, who faced quite a bit of suffering in his life. Um, and in Psalm 22, there's all kinds of vivid imagery that um, uh, kind of describe his suffering, but sort of in a sideways way. Like he says, I am a worm despised by the people. 
or many bulls encompass me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Or I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. And it's like, huh, you're definitely growing through something, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. What's this suffering that you actually have? Well, this is what a great artist does. There's a bit of mystery around what he's, what he's suffering. And in this way, then, we're actually able to make it our own psalm art. It's our own piece of art. It was Jesus's piece of art as he grieved his losses. Um, the, the imagery and the words help him stay connected, help us stay connected. Um, there's a fascinating moment in Psalm 22, verse 21. Um, really interesting moment. The first stanza of verse 21 says, save me from the mouth of the lion. And we're kind of left hanging. And then sort of like in an instant, without any warning, uh, the second stanza of verse 21 says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So Psalm 22, 1 through verse 21a is one person going through an intense trial. 22b onward is deliverance, worship, rescue. Something has happened. God has come through in some way. And um, uh, there's a sudden deliverance. There's new life. The lament turns into praise and thanksgiving. He's not alone anymore. Um, he's, he's saying, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. So look, all of us want to get there. We want to get to the place of joy, to a place of community, to a place of relief, to a place of feasting, to a place of delight. We want to get to Easter. We want to get uh, to the, the time when we're tasting new life and tasting growth and celebrating and savoring all that God has done. Yet the only way for us to get there is the way the psalmist got there and the way that Jesus got there, which is through the, through the grieving. Jerry Sitzer, again, puts it this way. The quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. We actually don't chase the sunset. The last few bits that we can, of sunlight that we can collect, we actually run straight into the darkness straight through lament, knowing that there will be a sunrise and it will be a new day. And there was a new day for Jesus. There was a moment of triumph even on the cross that we can see in Mark 15. If we look at verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The way Jesus died made an impression on the centurion, uh, who is not a follower of Jesus. The centurion uh, was, was uh, noted this, um, and he recognized Jesus as the Son of God by the way that he died. Oh, no. Should I keep preaching to keep the audio going? Okay, great, great. Uh, so let's pause, take a breath. Lord Jesus, bring the internet back on and rebuke Comcast <laughs> for this outage which we have experienced before.
Um, but Lord, bless them and bless our internet. Um, so let's talk about the centurion. The centurion had uh, overseen lots of crucifixions. It was the way he worked. It was his job. It was a messy job to oversee, to oversee uh, people dying, to oversee people being tortured to death. And it's just a day in the life of a centurion. And when you watch people die, you see whatever is inside of them come out. The last bursts of life, whatever people they had become came out in the moment of crucifixion. And so he watched Jesus suffer. It says he watched Jesus breathe his last. He watched the whole thing go down. And he could only conclude by the way Jesus died, I know for sure that this man was the very son of God. I know for sure that this man was the very son of God. This reminds me of an insight shared by one of my mentors, which was your best ministry opportunity is your response to trials. That is your best ministry opportunity. So I'm wondering, in this season, can we grieve our loss of normal in such a way that people say, truly, they are the people of God? Could you grieve the loss of your normal in a way that people would say, truly, this person, this person is a follower of Jesus? Or what if people, what if our city said, Wow, look at the way those Anglicans grieved their losses. Truly, they are the people of God. Truly, they are the church. And that would just look like active lament, I think, in this season, as we consider how do we use our time? If you have extra time at home, um, if you have extra space in your life, um, let's use this space to lament actively. Go deep in prayer. Use this time for contemplation. Spending more time with the Lord. Um, spend your downtime engaging with the Lord and listening to Him. Um, go deep in creativity. You may not think of yourself as an artist, as like I was talking about before, but God has created you to create value. He's created you to create, and no matter what your skills are and what your interests are, and no matter how old you are, you can create beauty, and you can create order and life, and it might be seen or unseen in this time. Um, don't stop the creativity. Make it a prayer. And then huddle with people over the phone or video conference to pray for each other and lift one another up. Um, there's a way just to actively lament like that. And then there's ways to actively love. We can practice gospel generosity together. Buying groceries or sending money to someone you know is suffering financially because of the pandemic. We'll actually send a link out to... Uh, to connect you with ways to love your neighbor practically. If you know those who are shut in, um, give them a call. Give them a, um, uh, give them a, a note. Let them know that you're thinking about them and that you're praying for them. We can grieve and love in such a way that Psalm 22 verse 27 can be true in our day. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.